The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. This is the Insulone Podcast, where I, Owen Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode, which I say to especially to female clients, because as you'll know from coaching females, like you have to have copious amounts of different basal rates just to accommodate your monthly cycles. But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulone podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes, please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. How's it going? And welcome back to the Insulone Podcast. As always, I'm delighted you're here to join us for another episode this week. And this week's guest is somebody that we've had on the podcast. And I think she was one of the very first guests that we've had on this podcast near two years ago now, which is crazy to say. Um, It is Talia Bentley, and she is from the UK. She's currently living living the life in Portugal. Son, see, incredible business, incredible person. She has an unbelievable wealth of knowledge, experience, and insight around all things diabetes. The physical, the mental, the emotional. She's exceptional at what she does and a very, very inspiring person to listen to, to speak to, and to follow on social media if you don't already. She shares... Again, like I said, experience, insight, knowledge with near 50,000 followers on Instagram. So I really, really, really enjoyed this chat. And anytime me and Tal have a conversation, I feel as if the conversation could quite literally go on for days because we both are so passionate about health, fitness and diabetes management. So enjoy this chat as much as I did. You will leave feeling empowered by your diabetes and you will feel leaving more confident and clear and comfortable of what you need to do with your health, your fitness and your diabetes management. Enjoy. So as I said to you, I had those train track braces. I I think I had them for like maybe six months or a year, a few years ago. As I said to you through Instagram, it's like putting razor razor blades in your mouth for the first couple of weeks because it's it's so different to anything that you're used to. But when I got them off I felt as if it was like a similar sort of sensation to getting teeth out because it's like 
oh. heavy pressure that the dentist is, is putting on to to pull them off essentially yeah. and when i was getting them off when he pulled off one of the one of the, i suppose one of the little kind of brace things that that's actually on your tooth yeah. my tooth came out <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was unreal um, have the anesthetic Oh so, my god! I don't, I don't know what this like. It, it must have just been loose or something, anyway. But when he pulled off the little silver bit, <laughs> the entire tooth came off. It was oh, unbelievable. My yeah. god. So that's why when I got down Invisalign, when and they offered the train tracks to me, I was like, oh, I just <laughs> there's no way I'm going back. Going uh, through yeah. testing them out again. No, oh my god, that is oh. <laughs> so how was the experience yesterday? Your your very first filling? It do you know what? It was not it was different to what I expected. <laughs> but it was just you can't feel anything. It's more just like the the sensation and like the you're aware and kind of vigilant of what's going on but you can't feel anything so it's mm. it's not too bad but yeah now we're all good and i can talk normally and i don't dribble when i drink so that's <laughs> yeah how was the sensation after the injection it feels like your face is just blown up yeah like completely swollen on one side it's embarrassing <laughs> but you know what it's almost like it feels so much worse than it looks yeah well, that's yeah. what I—that's how I have felt about it. It, it. You feel as if your face is just ballooned up. Yeah, and like but, it feels like like one side of my lips were like droopy. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Yeah. Really. So, uh, just for anybody who might be for anybody who's listening, me and Tal were supposed to record yesterday, and she she messages me like not not too far away from when we're supposed to record by the way um saying that she's getting injections into her mouth and she won't she won't be able to speak so we had to reschedule but had they said anything to you tal about diabetes related yeah so things yeah they said um it was like clearly from overconsumption of glucose and i was like well i can't really <laughs> can't really avoid that um so they recommended brushing at least once a day with a fluoride toothpaste so i picked one of those up yesterday um and they said well the best thing to do is just avoid sugar as much as possible like outside of low blood sugars and i was kind of like well i tend to do that anyway unless i want to <laughs> free bolus for 40 minutes yeah. um but yeah so it was very likely we can blame hypos for the filling <laughs> yeah it's just added added to the list of things that uh need to somehow consume our mind <laughs> living yeah. with type 1 diabetes it's our teeth are affected too because we eat too much glucose Literally. um do you know one of the most annoying things with invisalign was having to brush after every time you ate and you like you might have just eaten and then a few hours later had a low so you then have to take your invisalign out again brush again (laughs) nightmare so had had so you feel as if the the filling was essentially as a result of eating glucose tablets for the most part 
I think so. Yeah, that's what I'm going to blame it on anyway. <laughs> that's fair. That's and not fair. my working technique. <laughs> but as well, I th- and I think, like even another diabetic listening to this, it, it it's this kind of small things that occur during the day, you know. And where when you're talking yeah. about fillings and brushing your teeth and glucose tablets and stuff, I always think of well, I'm thinking right now of when I go to bed. Right. Because because when I go to bed, I will have a shower before I go to bed and I'll have a meal maybe an hour or an hour and a half prior to that, like my last meal of the day. Yeah. Obviously, as a result of that, I still have fast acting insulin on board in my system. Right. And when I have a hot shower, I have a shower in the morning and a hot shower in the evening when I go to bed and without fail. Every single time I have a hot shower and I have fast acne insulin active in my system, I'll go low. Your blood vessels are opened up when you have a hot shower. But what happens is I have the shower, I get into bed, I've obviously brushed my teeth and everything, and then my blood sugars go low. I'm like, <laughs> oh, it's it's so frustrating because you've brushed your teeth, you've been stable for that time, but obviously yeah. the hot shower pulls you down. You have to factor in some sort of bolus reduction for that shower. I know, 100%. It's like you have to. And then it's almost like, do I avoid taking insulin completely or do I just have a cold shower at night, which is an absolute nightmare? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's so frustrating. Do you ever get it as well? Like, I'm the same. So hot temperatures and hot water or like if I'm in a hot tub or whatever I'm very prone to going low but Mm. my CGM or FGM Libra will give like a false spike so it's like I feel low but my Libra is telling me I'm going up have you ever had that yeah I've got I think I've noticed it a lot I don't know if it happens as much with Dexcoms but he often gives Libras like a false rise in um blood glucose readings oh wow so it's like in reality your blood sugar is going low because of the heat but your sensor is telling you you're going high because of the heat yeah well not necessarily high it's just not telling you that you're like it's telling you you're on the rise basically yeah okay gotcha i could be Um, a lot more intuitive in in that situation well, how does that work for you then, considering the fact that you've relatively recently moved to Portugal, which I would imagine is a lot hotter than <laughs> the UK? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so the um, insulin sensitivity wise, like that's just, it's just made me more sensitive to insulin. But in terms of the Libra reading it wrong, it's only if I'm in like extremely hot temperatures. So like a bath or a hot shower or a jacuzzi or something like that but generally like um just being in a hot temperature not necessarily water the libra is fine so insulin requirements have dropped but other than that it's all right Mm. so how did you kind of adapt to that initially in terms of like i suppose with hot weather essentially it has a pretty immediate impact on blood sugar yeah. So when you moved over, was that something that you kind of noticed straight away? Yeah, for sure. So I'd spent a lot of time here anyway prior and like in the sun. So I kind of had an idea of what my 
bloods were gonna be like when I first moved and then as you know you kind of if say you go on a two-week holiday you know the first sort of three days going to be a little bit erratic and then as your body acclimatizes it sort of levels off so that's kind of happened now my body's adjusted to it's like new norm I guess so initially it was just tracking where the sensitivity was a lot higher than usual um mornings are normally my most resistant and then that's where the sensitivity changed the most so requirements came down a lot in the mornings uh similar in the afternoon and then evenings I'm very very sensitive anyway and that kind of stayed the same um and I actually came off Traceba and onto Levermere because it just allowed for a lot more flexibility it was too choppy to be able to keep on top of the changes with Traceba um but yeah kind of after about a week or so it almost just it was my new standard I guess you could call it so what sort of difference in insulin to carb ratio even specifically have you noticed since breakfast for me was usually around 1 to 15 it's now 1 to 18 1 to 19 depending on what training looked like the day before Hmm. lunchtime was around 1 to 25 i think now that's around you're very sensitive then yeah really sensitive now it's i think around similar 1 to 26 1 to 27 and then dinner is like barely any insulin i'm like 1 to 30 ish if i've trained if i've not trained it's similar to lunch but that's not really changed that even sounds very similar to my ratios currently yeah yours i've always for like when you post your ratios i've always been like jesus <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i because so i consistently used to be like 1 to 30 in the morning 1 to 35 kind of throughout the day and 1 to 40 ish um at night wild <laughs> yeah, crazy and and then particularly if i had you know more so more so than any as you know yourself more so than any other type of training if i had it like a hefty enough leg session with weights sensitivity again goes up that bit more yeah Um, yeah yeah it's almost like you don't you don't even need to take any insulin at all literally 120 grams of carbs you're on like two to three units crazy isn't it it just goes to show you the impact that that training has Mm -hmm. like consistently over time but also immediately yeah you know which is fascinating um but then since i had covid it was an absolute nightmare kind of like the six i say the six months following um my ratios were literally changing daily daily weekly it was i remember it was, that cra- it was crazy like some mornings I, i'd be one to five the next morning i might be one to 20 then what one to 15 it was nuts there was no consistency to it and it was just very very unpredictable yeah but that's they've cool. kind of settled now and i'm very similar to you, Tal, like maybe 1 to 15, 1 to 20 in the morning and then latest in the day, I'm kind of 1 to 30-ish. Yeah. Um, which is still yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, know? it is. I can't really I can complain. Yeah. <laughs> so have you found then, Tal, since moving and obviously the the increase in sensitivity and you're obviously training just as much and obviously yeah. the sunshine, you're, you're getting a nice tan at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
do you feel as if you're able to accommodate for now a lot more carbohydrate easier essentially yeah for sure so I've actually started swimming as well like like taking it a little bit more seriously that on bloods like is crazy is similar to what you get from like um like post legs but rather than having that delay between like this you know with legs sensitivity usually kicks in like six to eight hours after swimming's quite imminently um like post session Mm. so that was a little bit tricky to navigate to start with because I'd literally be like finishing my swim and having to run and get food (laughs) stop myself from dropping but I've kind of worked out a pre-routine from that now so that combined as well with like just the weather like my steps are so much higher and so in general like food requirements have gone up and carbohydrate requirements as well but it's just made it a lot 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 easier to get carbs in and not deal with like hefty pre-boluses or Mm. um like big spikes between meals which has been good but yeah it's been fun trying to figure out what I need to attack my bloods like with a new sport Mm. yeah it's a good uh good word to use saying it's fun you know (laughs) And but but it is, it is. And, and sometimes yeah. as we both know and as anybody listening knows it's incredibly complex and incredibly frustrating exactly. and uh, sometimes overwhelming but yeah. if you can look at it as something fun where it's like well all these things are changing for me how can I adapt to it you know what can I learn from it sure. what can I do differently to as you say yourself kind of navigate through a different routine or schedule or even climate or environment. Absolutely, yeah. And it's literally just a case of collecting the data and then being like a detective with it all. Like <laughs> women, obviously the conditions vary a lot. Like some days it'll be a lot choppier in the water, some days it'll be a lot smoother. So even that will impact how my bloods will look. So similar to like with lifting where you might have one process for upper day or full body day or whatever kind of split you work with. It's the same with swimming. If I know I'm going to be swimming and it's going to be tough, my bloods around that are going to look different how I'd manage it on like a smoother day. And it's just, I think you have to be very organized in having these different systems set up for yourself so that you can just kind of pick and choose almost from like a mind map of different options that you've got for yourself Mm. and something which I say to especially to female clients because as you'll know from coaching females like you have to have copious amounts of different basal rates just to accommodate your monthly cycle so it's like your basal is going to look different from probably three times in a month just to accommodate those sensitivity fluctuations for that and then you can incorporate things like stress activity sleep (laughs) hydration different types of exercise so you almost just have to be so aware of all the different um tactics that you can use and just pull from them i have everything written down (laughs) so i can just that was going to be my next question in terms of like the sort of even just from your own perspective and your own training and experience with these sort of systems that you're kind of outlining and the differences between 
as you say, a choppy day in the water compared to a smooth day or an upper body session compared to a lower body session. Are these systems almost now just kind of ingrained in your head or do you have almost like a library that you refer back to and say, okay, today I am going for a swim and I'm doing X, Y, Z. And so, tomorrow I'm doing legs, I'm doing X, Y, Z, or how does it look? So I'm at the point now where it's just in my head. So I'll, I'll know because I've done it so much for such a long time. But starting it out, I'd always recommend having, like you say, almost a library for yourself. So any changes that you make, which work for a specific point in time note that down because it's likely that that's going to come back around so like if you not like for you of covid or if i know there's a lot of bugs going around at the moment so if you know that your basil has gone up by five units in the morning and four in the evening and that's working really well for you whilst you're ill make a note of that so that next time you're sick you don't then have to spend three days figuring out what your new basal rate needs to be because you know okay last time I wrote down what I changed my basal to I can just refer back in your little library log (laughs) of Mm. basal rates and then implement that change right away so that you don't spend two days fighting highs because you're unwell when you've already dealt with that in the past, utilize that data to just make the next time around a lot easier. So that's what I recommend doing. And then you'll get to the point where you've used it so many times, it's just second nature. It's like when you first start carb counting and you're literally like, Jesus, do I have to do this for the rest of my life? Like it's so (laughs) complex. And then you start factoring in 30% for protein and it's like oh my god this literally feels like a mental math test every time I eat and then it just becomes second nature it's the same as everything um you just have to kind of be on top of it I think Hmm. yeah that's what I recommend yeah 100% and you're spot on you know and having that kind of library to reference back to is an unbelievable tool to have absolutely and even in the sense that when you do these different things or even you go through a stressful period or a hormonal period or you're sick or whatever it is, if you kind of gather that information and keep track of it, even just having that awareness around it, you learn from it. And what I always uh, speak about with clients inside my program is like, the more you do these things, the more your awareness is heightened around them. You know, do I increase basal? Do I decrease? Do I increase? Yeah. Uh, exercise do i decrease insulin to carb ratio whatever it is and you do this over and over and over and over again and as you say yourself it just becomes second nature yeah and what i always refer to in my program to to everybody that i work with and even for myself is what i call like automatic management and it's basically you have done these different tests and different strategies and increasing and decreasing basal and testing out different exercise so much over an extended period of time that your confidence is through the roof and everything is just second nature and just boom 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 you're making decisions without even realizing you're making decisions exactly yeah and I think that's the most sustainable way to be type one because if you do get to the point where you've overcomplicated things for yourself so much that you feel you have to think about every single intricate detail 
it, that's where you start burning out super frequently because it is just a, a minefield of decisions that you have to make each day. But like you say, when it's almost on autopilot, mm. it feels a lot more sustainable, but you have to put the work in to get to that point, to get to that place where it is on autopilot. Of course. And it, it, it like it's it's a difficult one as well because, and again, I'm only speaking from my own perspective, like to go through those periods where you're super detailed with everything that you do, yeah. it shines a light on the things that have an impact on your blood sugar, you know, you know, fat protein that aren't necessarily highlighted to us when we're diagnosed Uh, The differences between strength training and cardio, these kind of things. Yeah. 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 It's not even touched on. It's not even mentioned. And then when you really pay attention to the details of all these different kind of turning screws. Yeah. Again, going back to just heightening your awareness. And the more that you do these things, they just become ingrained in your mind. And then it's almost like the more automatic you are with your decisions because you've made these sorts of decisions so often, you get time and stress away from your blood sugar because you don't need to think about it as much exactly a thousand percent yeah and I think in the early stages of becoming like a proactive thinker you can almost like talk yourself out of things you probably find this a lot when you're speaking with clients they're like I know but I'm scared that it's going to make me hypo I'm scared that it's going to make me go high if I make that change and it's like well Mm. if you don't make the change you're not going to know. Best and worst case scenario is you either go high, low, or you're in range or you're closer to where you need to be. So at least if you just do it, the next time around, even if it didn't work, you know you need to go in another direction. So you it's a process of elimination. You've got rid of one potential. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now you can try another. Um, and sometimes it literally is just kind of stop overthinking it stop overcomplicating it and just just do it (laughs) just get on with it the example as well that i always think of to to kind of make sense of this for for anybody who's kind of listening from the outside or even considering testing out this sort of approach of kind of like trial and error trial and error trial and error the best example that i always think of is let's say for example you get a pizza Mm -hmm. right if you get a domino's pizza it's an absolute nightmare trying to manage your blood sugar, right? Because you don't know, should you take a pre-bolus? You don't know, should you split your bolus in, in three or five or 10 to counteract that delayed spike? It's a minefield, as you say. But the best way to look at those sorts of meals is try this, right? Try this amount of insulin. Try this time taking your insulin. Split it once or twice or three times, whatever. Eat the pizza analyze what happened yes then the next time you get it you can say okay i did this i did this i did this this was the result so this time i eat the pizza can i take more insulin can i split it in four now instead of three can i take it at this time instead of the time that i did last time because i still saw that delayed spike you know yeah it's like it it's annoying but that's the reality sometimes of trying to approach these sorts of meals and these sorts of scenarios that we might be in with our blood sugar. 
the more that you do those things, I'm not saying you need to eat a Domino's pizza every day, <laughs> but it's just the example that I'm using. And when you actually pay attention to what you did, the insulin that you took and the time that you took it at, yeah. you're, you're fueling yourself with more information for the next time you do that thing. Exactly. You've got three options. You you have your Domino's pizza, you let your bloods wreak havoc and you continue to do that every time you have a Domino's. You do exactly as you've said and let yourself figure out what you need to do or you avoid the food altogether. And exactly. Like, well, <laughs> there's a very, very clear option, but I think people put it off, either just ignore the consequences of eating a Domino's or don't eat it at all because the the right option feels stressful and it feels like an extra thing that you have to do as a diabetic. But if you can just remove yourself from that mindset, you've, you've got this regardless. There's nothing you can do about it. So you might as well thrive with it rather than like either almost ignore it or stop yourself from doing things that you want to do. Hmm. There was an interesting, I can't remember exactly what the quote was, but I was listening to a podcast relatively recently and it was the idea that sometimes we treat our reality the way we want our reality to be rather than how it actually is. Yeah. And what I mean by that, it's like, and again, probably much like you, Tal, I refer most things back to, to diabetes um but it's like well the reality that i want is to just eat a domino's pizza and not worry about it yeah that's an ideal reality but that's not my actual reality uh-huh. so i need to remind myself of the fact that yes look i am type 1 diabetic it's not ideal to say the very least but I, it's it's my responsibility now to make measured and rational decisions to make these sorts of things as easy as possible for me in the reality that I live. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really powerful, I think. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. And like you say, if you if you act or behave in a way that you want your reality to be you're doing yourself a disservice because mm. subconsciously you're always going to be thinking or knowing that you are type one and it's not how you should behave in should be behaving even if you are and I think that's something a lot of diabetics struggle with is when you go through that period of trying to pretend that it's not there even at that point, you don't get a break because you're either suffering with constant symptoms of fluctuating bloods. There's anxiety about the fact that you're not managing your bloods and you can't you can't function as a normal human being if your levels aren't well controlled. I need a day in bed and my levels have been like awful because I feel so unwell and you can't get away from that. So if you just take the approach that doing everything to better your health and keep on top of your levels it feels easier in the long run once you get to that point of what you call like auto management I think that's such a good way of putting it Mm. yeah and it's important that 
like uh, I suppose for me, and even again from my own perspective, there's a fine line between m- managing things and then obsessing over things. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and it's like if I obsess over my blood sugar, then I'm creating stress and frustration when it doesn't behave the way that I want it to. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas if I can actively manage it, I can make, as I say, measured and rational decisions around my insulin, my food, my exercise, my hydration, my sleep, whatever, all these different things. But I'm still accepting of the fact that even when I do all these things consistently, my blood still aren't going to be perfect. Absolutely. Yeah. A thousand percent. Even if you had the exact same day, I'm sure every diabetic has heard this before, but you could live your life like a robot and your levels would still need a different approach. Every single <laughs> exactly. Day. Yeah. So, you so can't get caught up in it. A hundred percent. And I think that's something that can be almost even difficult to wrap your head around because it's like, well, I'm living with this relentless condition, you know, and I'm trying so hard and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. I'm creating new habits. I'm creating new routines, but it's still annoying me. You know, I'm still going higher. I'm still going low. Yeah. But that side of it is so important because you can't ever expect your blood sugar to be perfect. You know, like even me and you, essentially our, our life revolves around diabetes management Holy. but <laughs> for ourselves and loads of others <laughs> yeah, exactly exactly but we both are still very accepting of the fact that we're gonna inevitably have highs and lows it's just part of the condition yeah you know? yeah and you can't let yourself get caught up in stressing over them if you know hand on heart you're doing everything you can to look after your diabetes and putting your future health and future self in the best possible position, you have to manage your expectations because otherwise you'll just be completely burnt out all the time. I don't know any type one. I genuinely don't think I know any type one that doesn't have somewhat an all or nothing <laughs> approach to life. <laughs> yeah, no. It's almost like it, it creates that within you um and you have to learn to find a middle ground with it uh, otherwise it's just going to drain the life out of you i saw a really good quote actually um the other day and it said that it was something along the lines of addiction is like a progressive narrowing of the things that bring you pleasure but happiness is a progressive expansion of the things that bring you pleasure and it was saying like addiction forms almost passively but happiness takes work and not that having type one should bring you happiness but (laughs) being able to manage your type one should bring you happiness and you have to find the difference between addiction and happiness within your management i think Mm. yeah actually i think i saw you share that i think it was from your man huberman yes it was yeah 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 yeah, you posted that recently and i was like wow that's unreal yeah 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 how do you then tell even just based off that how do you find happiness in your diabetes management 
I try to focus a lot more on um, the good parts of it or almost I try and treat it a lot more (laughs) clinically or look at it a lot more like as just numbers and data because if I both something both you and I talk about a lot is removing your emotion from the condition when decision making but I almost try and do that all together and just look at the numbers how I would look at any numbers and make decisions that way because let's say for instance I was doing a maths test and I got an answer wrong yeah it's annoying I try and look at my diabetes in the same way if I do something wrong yeah it's annoying but I'm not gonna lose time and sleep over it I'm just gonna move on and think okay how can I do it better next time um so really trying to detach myself emotionally from it and I know that's a lot easier said than done um because it is something you live with every day and it's something which affects you so much so of course I do feel emotion towards it but when it comes to the numbers um I just have to try and remind myself that it is just something that I have to do every day and if I can dissociate that like pull that it has on me when I just want to scream um it allows me to just be a lot more at peace with it I think um and seeing almost being able to have a positive impact within the community as well um it's nice it it gives you a bit more of like a awesome feeling towards it you know like if anyone, even I'm not saying you have to like give up your day job and become a type one coach, but just immersing yourself within the community, I think, um, really helps. And knowing that you're not struggling alone, you're you only have to type in like type one as a, as a hashtag online to see that everyone is going through what you're going through, and even though everyone experiences it differently there's people feeling the same things as you. And I think that can bring you comfort sometimes. Do you feel that your ability to kind of detach yourself emotionally from your blood sugar, is that something that you learned over time or is that something that you almost like can instinctively or innately do? Um, I, I, (laughs) I'm quite good if I need to like, cut something off or someone off or a part (laughs) of my life if I need to like kind of separate myself from it I've got a very very good ability to do that so I think I probably find it easier from being almost instinctively like that Um, but it is definitely something that I've had to work on and a part of that was almost like re-accepting my illness because I know I got diagnosed at 14 so a lot of the time growing up it was like oh yeah like Talia's got type one but she's so good with it or like she just gets on with it it's no hassle and then when you're constantly hearing that from everyone around you and your parents are so proud of you for how you handle it and your friends are like amazed how well you do with it it almost becomes this pressure that, okay, well, I can't actually admit that I'm struggling because everyone around me is just really happy with how I'm doing. So I need to just keep that up. So for a long time growing up, it was almost just like, just keep going, just keep going, just keep going. 
don't cause a fuss. And then I went for a period where because I'd been, I'd felt like that for so long and it wasn't anyone's fault. It was just kind of how it was. And I think probably a lot of people diagnosed young can relate to that. Um, I, I had to go for a period where I had to re accept what the illness was and relearn how to be type one and be okay with it being hard and then coming out the other end of that it's like well I've processed it all I can admit that it's hard I can admit that I have bad days but I also can do everything in my power to make it easier for myself so it was like again finding that balance between brushing it off overly struggling with it and then finding like a peaceful middle ground I think that's a very interesting idea or or even thought process I should say around the people around you were kind of proud of how well you manage it so the impression I get is almost like you felt this kind of consistent responsibility to manage it well yeah a thousand percent and that was like my parents were amazing they did so much for me with my management and it wasn't like they would always say like you do know you can talk to us like you can like we know it's hard and stuff but I think just having that constant reinforcement of how well you're doing it almost makes you feel this responsibility just to keep that face going and like you don't want to be a burden you don't want to annoy people at that age you just want to be normal so yeah it was a weird time and it was very I didn't realize that until later on that's something I discovered when I was older and not in the time period that it was happening so what do you feel then kind of led you to take that break essentially around letting go of that sense of responsibility that everything has to be managed well all the time and you said you kind of took a break from that sort of way of thinking Was there anything that led you to finally taking that break? Yeah, so when I came to uni, I went to uni like five or six hours away from my home, like where my parents were. So it and I wanted to do that because I wanted independence. I'd spent all of my teenage years as any type one parents are probably all the same, like going to see friends, like it was never just, I could never just be like my friend, you know, I could never just go and that was it. Like you just go, you come back, when you come back, it was like, have you got all your meds? Can I speak to their parents? Have I met them before? You know, like everything's a lot more, I guess there's a lot more checks and a lot less freedom. So I wanted to go because I wanted my own sense of independence and being at uni, having that independence in like the first few months, realizing like I was going to have to do my own management and on my own forever that almost kind of having that break away from having people constantly watch over it was almost what allowed me to kind of lean into these new feelings that I was having that like okay I I think I need to stop being so robotic about this illness and just allow myself to feel what I need to feel to kind of process through this next stage (laughs) of my journey with with diabetes 
So I think it's probably just getting that independence and not having people constantly checking your numbers for you and that kind of thing. So do you feel as if that time served you well in how you approach your management even still to today? A hundred percent, yeah, because it still allows me to feel things towards my diabetes. When I say I take the emotion out of it, a lot of that is to protect the frustration that I feel, which then inhibits my ability to make good decisions. But if I'm just having a day where I'm sick of being diabetic, even if my numbers, like sometimes I can be 90%, 100% time and range, but I'll still have a shit day. And it's not because my numbers are bad. It's because living with this illness is hard. So that time in my life allows me to still have bad days and not feel guilty about it or not feel like I can't have those kind of days. So like all the pieces within the journey have played a huge role in where I'm at now with it, I think. That was part one of this episode. If you are listening to this on the day of the release, part two will be out tomorrow. But if you're listening on any other day, part two is the next episode on our list.